Hi, I'm Scott, and welcome to Episode 5, Series 2 of Child in Time, Growing Up in the 60s. And uh, just up front, I want to give a shout out to all the listeners in the USA. Most of the podcast listeners are, of course, based in Australia, but lately uh, there's been a whole lot of downloads in the USA, and uh, look, it's great to have you here. Now, on the other hand, and I'm looking at you, Yemen, Kenya, Afghanistan, and Mongolia. Why don't I just add up the listeners I have in those four countries? The answer is nil. Do I need to come there and do a promotional tour or something? This time we're looking at two popular places to go to in the 60s. And uh, while they're not exactly extinct, these two are very much on the endangered list. Milk bars and drive-ins. Now today in cities and towns we have the convenience of big supermarkets, 24-hour petrol stations and cafes. Lots of cafes. There are at least six cafes within easy walking distance from where I live. I could stroll down to any one of them and sit down and order some sort of drink, a latte or something, and a smashed abo on sourdough, and then sit down and look at my phone. A smashed abo is the term for avocado that has been pummeled senseless and dolloped onto a slice of industrial-strength bread. Perhaps my ordered beverage would be served in a cup, or maybe a pretend jam jar-type vessel. My smashed avo on sourdough could arrive on a plate, but just as likely it would be plonked down on a table arranged on a square of slate that had been left over from a slate quarry somewhere. When not enraptured by my phone, I might stare at the cake cabinet, tempted specifically by the homemade carrot cake. As I leave, I might inquire about buying some of the homemade carrot cake. Alas, however, I leave empty-handed when it becomes apparent that the cake was not, in fact, made at the proprietor's home address in their own kitchen. No was made out the back of the cafe with all the other stuff, so it wasn't homemade after all. Bear in mind all this would have had to have taken place before about 3pm because that's when just about every cafe closes. You want to take away hot drink after 3? Well, it's off to the petrol station for you, and that's no place to linger. That's now. What was there before all the cafes? Well, there were milk bars. So let's go back to the 1960s. But before we do, we're going to go even further back to 1932. That was the year a Greek immigrant named Joachim Tavaridis, but who called himself Mick Adams, opened Australia's first milk bar in Martin Place in the middle of Sydney's CBD. 
the so-called black and white milk bar, was immediately very successful. And in the coming years, there were thousands of milk bars all over Australia. New immigrants, particularly Greeks and to a much lesser extent Italians, were instrumental in the explosion of milk bars. They were family-orientated small businesses, not shy at all of the long opening hours required to make a living. No milk bars shut at 3pm, I can tell you. So what were the milk bars? Well, they were modelled a bit on a hybrid of the American drugstores with their soda fountains and such. And they also had aspects of the American diner in that they often featured booze you could sit in and dine. The name of the milk bar would often reflect the heritage of the owners. There was the Paragon, the Athenium, the Olympus. Uh, One we used to go to was called the Aristocrat, but we just called it the Arrow. A typical milk bar had a linoleum floor, and along one side there'd be a counter, and on the opposite side there'd be some tables and chairs or maybe booths. The front counter facing the street was usually glass-fronted and displayed large boxes of loose lollies or candy, same thing. And children could make selections from the display. You know, I'll have one of those and uh, one of those and I'll have two of those. You'd always receive your sweets in a small white paper bag for sixpence or five cents from 1966 onwards, you could get a decent number of mixed lollies. Also, a staple of the milk bars was, of course, milkshakes, always served in metal containers, along with a straw. Vanilla malted was my favourite. You could also get ice creams, chocolates, soft drinks, hamburgers, pies, sausage rolls, cigarettes, So for a kid, a milk bar was a cornucopia of lollies, ice cream, chocolate in an exciting environment of chrome and colour. They were open long hours and there was scarcely a vegetable to be seen. A banana-flavoured milkshake was about as close as it got. In the 1960s, milk bars were still in their heyday. And they were a place for people to meet and hang out, you know, particularly for teenagers and things like that. But by the end of the 70s, most milk bars had closed. They couldn't compete with the modern mini-markets, snack food supplying petrol stations, the shopping malls, the generic little convenience stores, and also um, often they had to pay high rents. Many of the old locations of milk bars are now residences or hairdressing salons or even cafes or something. But sometimes you might see an echo from that golden era of suburban life. When walking recently, I saw a faded painted sign on the side of a large brick wall side of a shop front ahead of me. It was a painting of a smiling blonde-haired young girl holding an ice cream. Above her image was painted the words Milk Bar in large serif script. When I got to the shop, I was not in the least bit surprised that it was no longer a milk bar. No, 
It was one of those home decor shops that sell bits of old branch and various arty ornaments that you buy and put in your house. The only unifying feature of all the merchandise on show was that it has no practical application whatsoever. I walked on and I glanced at my watch. It was after 3pm. All the cafes would be closed by now. Unlike many, I foolishly do not wander about the suburbs of a large city with a water bottle in my hand, frequently taking sips of water to stave off the constant threat of dehydration and the very real risk that I might not be able to find a source of fresh water ever again in this large city. But what's that I see up ahead? It's a petrol station. I'm going to make it. Even though the water sold in the petrol station is substantially more expensive per litre than the 98% octane petrol they sell, I'd better go get some. Now, drive-ins. The first drive-in theatres opened in Australia in 1956, and eventually there was over 300 nationwide. There were about a dozen in Sydney in the 1960s. Drive-ins just about always showed double bills, and usually the films were not first release. Films would hit the drive-in circuit after their main city run, and their fare was very mainstream, comedy, action, horror, mainly Hollywood output. If you were looking for a season of French New Wave cinema or a retrospective of, say, Kawasawa films, the drive-in was not the place to go. Drive-ins were thriving in the 1960s and often the house full sign would go up on a Friday and Saturday night and that would mean six or seven hundred cars were in attendance. Went to the drive-in as a family on a few occasions. I remember among the films we saw were A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, a very enjoyable 1966 musical comedy, Spartacus, the Stanley Kubrick epic. But then we also had to endure some forgettable rubbish like a movie called Eight on the Lamb starring Bob Hope. Okay, I said it was very... Forgettable, but I remember it. So it would begin by driving up a side road to pay the entrance fee and you'd be met by one of several guys dressed in white jumpsuits wearing berets. I always thought they looked like commandos. Special Forces Entertainment Squadron. Dad would wind down the window and the guy would have a bit of a peer into the old Holden. Okay, two adults and four children, yeah. The commando would then half-heartedly wave a copy of movie news and ask if we wanted to buy a copy. No, thank you. No one ever bought movie news. We would drive in and find a spot, hopefully not too far from the flat building in the centre of the concourse. This was, of course, the all-important snack bar. With all the usual stuff you could buy at the movies... Only this time you're messing up your own car and not the cinema with chip and hamburger grease and melted ice cream. Dad always took care not to park anywhere near the back as the back row would consist of an unbroken line of panel vans parked backwards with the back open. 
panel van is like a station wagon, but with uh, one front bench seat and a windowless enclosed back section. All the panel vans would contain a young couple lying on a mattress facing the screen. So they would watch the film propped up on their elbows, I suppose. Uh, Next to your parking space, there was a pole and a speaker. The speaker, connected by a cord to the pole, was to be placed in your car window. And the speaker looked a bit like a clunky transistor radio and delivered a tinny mono sound that was primitive by the standards of today. Modern cinemas can deliver sounds that simulate the end of the world. On the few occasions we did go, we are unlikely to stay until the end of the second film, as it would have been way, way, way past bedtime. By the end of the 1970s, nearly all the drive-ins were gone. When I checked recently, there are only 12 left in Australia. Why? Well, several reasons. The rise of uh, VHS recorders meant that you could watch anything other than a first-run release at home. And uh, Daylight Saving was introduced in 1971. So in summer, it would be getting late before the necessary darkness would descend to allow projection. And many of the drive-ins were on outer suburban land, but with the urban sprawl, they became prime real estate. Very sellable. So like Crack and I... Backyard incinerators and school canteens stocked exclusively with sugary treats. Milk bars and drive-ins are highly unlikely to make a comeback. Milk bars and drive-ins. Long time gone. Thanks for listening. Uh, please uh, leave a positive review, five-star review. helps people find the show. And, um, yeah, we'll talk soon.